Tonight, I'm going to take you to the book of Revelation. We're not going to do anything crazy in Revelation tonight. Uh, uh, we're going to stay kind of tame, but I want to look at a church. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse, verses 7 through 13 is where my reading will come from. And uh, I want to look at a church tonight, and I want to uh, use the example of that church to talk to us uh, for just a few moments uh, tonight. So let's read and uh, see what the scripture uh, has to say. It's a lot, so you can remain uh, seated uh, tonight. And to the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Aren't you thankful that the doors he opens, no flesh can get in the way of it? For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from that which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." For just a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about a revival church, a revival church. When you think about the church, especially the apostolic church, there is one thing that distinguishes a good one from a not so good one, and that is, does it have a reputation or is it known to be a revival church. No one, I say that tonight confidently because I don't believe that anyone truly interested in pleasing God wants to go to a dead, dried up, lifeless church. Nobody that truly and really wants to be saved could be looking for a place just to get by with. But if you are a diligent Jesus seeker, if you are a true worshiper, the real Christian, only a church that is pleasing to God will satisfy you. Now, I know tonight that you can find a lot of groups that assemble, built around all kinds of things, likes, hobbies, pastimes, social engagement, fellowship, causes, 
agendas, principles, you name it. But when it comes to the church, you better make sure that the church is aligned to the will and the purpose of God. I think tonight one of the greatest curses of this generation is that we want church to fit our agenda. We want church to fit our preferences. We want church to adapt to our liking. And as long as they're singing my kind of song and the preacher don't meddle too much in my business and in my life, as long as they keep the children's program and the students program and all of the things that I like rolling, I'll be there. I'll be a part. And we have built this image or this ideology that the church is here to serve our desire. Stay with me. I'm going to be nice tonight. And that's why so many have abandoned truth they are following after the ideals of men rather than confronting sinful desires and following after Christ. Let me just remind you of some important facts from the Scripture tonight. According to Romans 7 and 4, the church is subject to Christ. According to Ephesians 5, 25 through 29, the church is loved by, sanctified by, and saved by Christ. According to Matthew 16, 18, the church is built by Christ. According to Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, the church is founded on Christ. And finally, in Acts 20 and 28, the church was purchased by the blood of Christ. May I submit to you tonight that the most important person to make happy concerning the church today is not me, but it is Jesus Christ. Amen. If you can't say amen, just give me a little head nod because you know that's right tonight. I don't get to decide what's best for his church. I don't get to pull in like it's Burger King and have it my way. I don't own this thing. I haven't shed one drop of blood for it. So I think it's important to find out what it is that Christ wants from his church. My opinion needs to die. My preferences have to take a back seat. My likes and my dislikes and my uh, uh, thoughts and agendas shouldn't dictate direction because Christ is truly the one that we are here to please. Anybody believe that tonight? Anybody want to be pleasing to him? Anybody want to make sure that we're in his will tonight? In our text tonight, we're introduced to and given a brief biography of the church at Philadelphia. If you're a student of the scriptures, you know the context of this 
synopsis. There were seven churches. They were shown to John while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and he was given clear instructions to write to them. Now, it is imperative that you understand. The words in the letters are observations. They are assessments. They are evaluations, if you will, of the standing or the health or the effectiveness, not through the eyes of John, but through the eyes of Jesus. See, John is merely the messenger, the spokesman, the literal penman of Jesus. Talk about wanting his will. What a thought. Could you imagine today if letters started showing up in church mailboxes all across the world today with assessments and evaluations straight from the throne of heaven I won't stay there tonight, but do you think we might see a few changes, possibly? <laughs> Let me be good. I'm going to stay on my assignment tonight. Seven churches, seven letters, seven inspections, and Philadelphia is the only church out of the seven discussed in Revelation that seemed to maintain an ongoing spirit of revival. All of the other churches written about had major problems in their relationships with God and were not experiencing an ongoing revival like that which followed immediately after the day of Pentecost. Only one of the seven has pleased God. And because of their continual spiritual hunger and growth, Philadelphia brought God pleasure. And God turned to them and he promised them something incredible. He promised them an open door of his spirit. I don't know about you, but I would like to know tonight that I have brought God pleasure and that he would say back to me that there is now for you an open door of spiritual blessing and reward. Anybody would like that tonight? So let's look at what it means tonight to be a revival church using this example of Philadelphia. I personally started studying these churches many years ago. And one of the very first things that jumped out to me about Philadelphia was its location. You got to understand this. The church at Philadelphia was situated in an intense and volatile volcanic region. It was literally dangerous there. If I could say it like this, 
They lived in unstable territory. Right out of the gate tonight, I want to tell you that a revival church doesn't make excuses about their location. Revival churches don't make excuses about the areas that surround them. Revival churches don't seek for comfort. They seek for the lost. I can tell you tonight, it doesn't matter how unstable the environment is, God can still move, He can still work, and He can still perform. Amen. I, I, I hate it when I, when I see churches that are trying to move out of areas where they say the, the area is too bad, the crime rate is too bad, the, the situations are too bad. No, we weren't meant to run from those things. We were meant to transform those things. Lest you forget tonight, his love sent him to uncomfortable places. His love required of him difficult things, but not one time did he quit when the, even when the sweat was pouring from him in agony. He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And a true revival church will not run from the uncomfortable or the difficult, but it will take on his nature and his identity. How to understand this tonight? Revival is based on who Jesus is and not who we are. And I think sometimes we get that backwards. And 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 we can find ourselves frustrated because when we look up and we realize within ourselves we can't accomplish the work or the task. Hear me t- tonight. We can we can match up alone with with our own craftiness or or our own ideas and, and we can try to to pull people out of their message out of their messes and, and their and their circumstances and their situations but but let, let's take the burden off of us tonight. Let's take the pressure of that off of us tonight and understand people don't need a church today with more programs or better facilities. People need a church today where the power of God is flowing to minister to the needs that walk through the doors. Now don't get me wrong. Programs within the church are important, and we have them, but they do not constitute, nor will they ever create revival. Only the resident presence of God can generate a sovereign move of His Spirit and bring revival. Everything else is just a help to what He has come to do. That's why we promote worship. That's why we spend so much time trying to entertain his presence. It's not to perform or present some musical genius or to show off our God-given talent. It's to foster and nurture an environment where his presence can show up because people are lifting up his name. When you're more interested in the name of the singer, rather than the name 
being sung about. We don't have a worship service anymore. We got a concert. And that might be good enough for pleasure seekers and people wanting to soothe their emotions, but it simply won't do for the church of the living God. We're looking for applause or reviews. We are looking for, we're, we're not looking for those things. We're looking for a revelation of his presence because God will reveal himself to those that have need in a proper environment. And to the revival church, nothing is more important than who Jesus is. Not if pastor's preaching or Brother Hodge or Brother Chase not if Crystal singing or Colton or Rachel, but who are they preaching about? Who are they singing about? That's what brings his presence. And only that, a continual manifestation of his presence, will allow revelation to flow and our understanding of him to increase. You see, Knowing Jesus is more than being able to call out his name. It involves being aware of his nature and his desires. Revival-minded people become obsessed with him. They are consumed with knowing him. They want to please him. They want to hear his voice. They desire his will. And it drives them to prayer. And it drives them into his word. And it drives them to do things that others don't do because they are simply trying to know him. They're not praying so they can boast, I pray so much a day. They're not going to the scripture so they can boast that I've read my word five or six times through this year. They're doing that because because they want to know him and they know that he's only found in that relationship and that communication with him. I wish you could have met her. She was a precious lady. If you think my mom's pretty awesome, you would have loved her mother because she is her clone. But my grandmother was so funny to me as a young child because we grew up in a church where we testified. We don't, we don't do that too much anymore. Well, I'm reading you on there and know what people are going to say. <laughs> I didn't say that in this microphone, did I? We don't do that too much anymore, but people used to get to come. They used to testify. You know, that's scriptural. If any has a psalm, let them break it. I'll leave that alone. But we had testimony service where I grew up with, and my grandmother always would stand up, and it didn't matter what she was about to say. She opened her testimony with this statement. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. And I'm just a little snothead kid laying under the pew, pushing around a Hot Wheel car, letting two G.I. Joe men beat each other up. And I just, you know, just there for a while like kids are sometimes. And as a child, I thought she was a little bit off. 
Because to me, to me, everybody knew who Jesus was. I mean, come on, Grandma. They're here at church. We've been singing about him. The preacher has said his name a lot in this service. Everybody knows who Jesus is. But as I got older, and I began to really pray, and I began to study, and I began to encounter him for myself, I started to realize and I found out what Grandma was saying. See, what she was saying is, I don't just know about him, but I know him. I don't just have a casual uh, uh, encounter or experience with him, but I've got something deep, and I've got something real. This, thing, this man named Jesus uh, isn't some character in history to me. He's my personal friend that sticks closer than a brother. And she was saying he's more than just a song. He's more than just the preacher's subject. And she taught me about his nature. And I proved it through study and prayer. And today, I say it like she did. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Anybody understand what I'm saying tonight? And to the revival church, Jesus spoke things to them directly about his nature. Because he wanted to reveal himself. He wanted them to truly know him. He wanted daily, intimate fellowship with them. And the first thing he told them about himself is this. I am holy. Hear me tonight. I taught it last week. We must be led by and we must live in the Spirit because carnality and holiness can't coexist. And an intimate relationship with God only exists through the common denominator of His holiness. And a true revival church will recognize his holiness and it will approach him in the appropriate manner. Listen to me tonight. Many people never reach fulfillment in their relationship with Christ because they never enter into an intimate, personal relationship with him. But when we truly pursue God, we quickly realize he ain't like us. He is holy. Holiness is the first part of his nature and the first thing he revealed to his church. And because of it, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. Let me help someone tonight by saying this. Holiness is not only separation from the world, but holiness is separation unto God. And many people get the separation from the world part right. 
We don't listen to the junk they listen to. We don't go to the places they go to. We don't act like they act. But few go on to true holiness, which is being separated unto him. Because holiness is the means through which God sets us aside for special use. You want to pray that prayer? I want to be used of God. You better seek after him, and you better know him, and you better become like him. Because he's not going to put his face on anything that's not like him. Because of that, revival churches focus more on becoming like God, which also results in them being less like the world. Come on, somebody. We made that way too complicated over the years, but it's very simple. Be like him. Take on his nature, and all of that abstaining from the things in the world will start to take care of itself. I'm moving on, but be very careful tonight that your view of holiness isn't so shallow that you never move into a real relationship with God because that is the real purpose of holiness. The second nature he revealed was that he was true. John, in this time, was combating a false doctrine that was circulating during the time of his writing the book of Revelation. And these false doctrines taught this, even back then, taught this, that Jesus was not actually real. Can you imagine that? People who had literally seen him. There was already a doctrine going around that he was not actually real. He just seemed to be real. But when the writer penned what the Lord spoke to them and he told the revival church, he said, hey, I'm holy and I'm true. He said, everything I have done and everything I have said, everything you have seen and heard was true. He was appealing to them. Don't be fooled by lies, whether they're in lies intentional or if they've originated by misinformation or misunderstanding. Don't let false doctrine have any place in you because truth is the basis for everything God wants us to experience. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Our God can be trusted tonight. Our God really is sovereign tonight. Our God really is Lord tonight. One, fact, one scripture went so far as to declare, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. One translation went further in that same scripture to say, He is not like humans. He doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. 
I'm telling you tonight, God can be trusted today because he doesn't just tell the truth. According to John 14, he literally is the truth. And revival churches will stand upon truth. They will worship in spirit and in truth. They will preach the truth, and the truth shall make men free. Revival churches stand against false doctrine. Revival churches resist new revelations that are contrary to God's word. I'm not saying there's not new revelations, but they better align with this word. Or you know what they are? They're a delusion, and you better be careful. Revival churches ground themselves in the Word of God, the same reason David put the Word in him, that they might not sin against God. And if we're going to be a true revival church, we must hold on to the natures He revealed. We must be a people of His Word, and we must be a people of truth. But even as people of the word, and even in proclaiming truth, guess what? Problems can come up. Oh, Lord. You remember that point we got to last week where we could just set the microphone down, shut the Bible, and say, let's go home? Well, that would have been a good, good part, but we, we got we to look a little deeper. Because look at this Philadelphian church, because they were struggling a little bit. The opinion of the masses around them wasn't favorable. They were being ridiculed. They were being mocked. They were being attacked. They were struggling with public opinion. But God said, hey, let me tell you about yourself. And hang on a minute. This comes from the one that is holy. <laughs> this comes from the one that is true. I'm not just some random voice in the crowd. I'm not just some opinion floating around. But let me tell you something tonight. Let me give you some insight into what I see before you start falling to the critics. And he, he said, uh, uh, and by the way, before I tell you about yourself, just remember, I got the keys. I, the door you're trying to go through won't open without me. So, so before I tell you about yourself, I, I want you to remember and recognize who's telling you this because uh, if you pay attention, I'm going to help you. You see, tonight all that matters is getting through that door that he's got the keys to. And some of us need a revelation again of who we are. And before we start to sell out to popular opinions, we might want to hear what God thinks about us. So let me tell you tonight what God knows about you. From this example, he knows your works. Listen to me. What we do is important to God. It demonstrates the kind of faith that we possess. Faith, real faith, 
is validated and proven by action. That's scripture. Faith without works, faith without action, faith without activity is dead. And that's important to remember. But here's a sound principle you need to get tonight. Most will not just all of a sudden lose their faith. Now, I can back this up with Scripture. Because before you lose your faith, something else is going to go. Let me... Let me prove it tonight. Hebrews 11 is considered the hall of fame of the faithful. It's where we gain our definition of faith. It's where we get our examples of faith. Anything you want to know, need to know, or should know on the subject of faith, chapter 11 reads like a documentary or a how-to manual. If you don't frequently visit Hebrews 11, I suggest start. When your faith starts to waver, just get in Hebrews 11. Start reading. But before chapter 11, there was a warning issued in chapter 10. And here it is. Hebrews 10.35 said this. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. And I have found that long before people lose their faith, they lose their confidence. Now, confidence is multifaceted and much too complicated for me to try to dissect in this brief example and get finished with the rest of these notes I've got tonight. But one element of it is this. Confidence is trust and assurance in previously settled principles or fundamentals. Specifically, as it relates to submission to authority. Mm, I know. Start talking about submission, they might as well be cussing. In other words, as long as you believe in someone or something, you trust what they say or what it represents, and you are willing to follow them. Following by getting active, active with your time active with your money, active with your talent, with your ability, with your giftings, but someone losing confidence starts to draw back from those commitments. They start to find excuses. They start to isolate. They start to pull away. And it starts in the mind with their confidence, and it finishes in their spirit with their faith. That's why we preach so much on being involved, because your activity demonstrates not only your faith, but it demonstrates your confidence in what is going on here. And it's amazing how people 
can live in fear of the judgment of God because they know he sees every wrong or every evil thing they do, yet they never stop to consider that he is watching for every good thing that you do as well. What a liberating empowerment that is. We don't cower in fear from him tonight, but we rejoice in the liberty he has given us to go do and perform his will. God sees your actions. God knows your works. And therefore, we must be active if we're going to be considered a revival church. That's why what's going on around here is so exciting. Because there's not a greater activity than reaching for people that don't know him like we know him. Come on, somebody. Seeking and saving the lost was always the mission of Christ, and therefore it must always be the mission of his church. Truly seeking and saving the lost requires more than just opening up a church building and having a few services. Seeking and saving the lost is going to require you to go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come. And God is looking for a church that will actively pursue his mission. But in pursuing his mission, we have to keep some things because we can't get so activity driven that we lose our sight of the most important thing. And that is our message. See, I can show you a lot of busy churches. A lot of churches that got calendars filled up. Activities going on. But they ain't saying nothing. You see, although Philadelphia was struggling a little bit, and although their strength was little, Philadelphia was keeping some things. They never let their activities change their message. And even in little strength, they stayed on the right track. Let me tell you what they kept. This is straight out of the Scripture. I'm walking right down through it verse by verse. Let me tell you what they kept. The first thing they kept was his word. You've got to understand this. And I taught this when I taught on rediscovering a love for his word. God is inseparable from his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then that same word a few verses later was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. God is inseparable from his word. It is steadfast and it is unchanging. Without his word, we would have no knowledge 
of him. His word is the foundation of the church. His word is the very source of our lives. And we are to live by every word that proceedeth out of his mouth. His word produces spiritual life within a revival church. Paul referred to it in Philippians 2 and 6 as the word of life. James wrote, of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth. John also wrote, wrote, referring to Jesus, he was the word of life. The church has its very foundation in the word of God. And a true revival church will never forsake his word for the voice of popular opinion. Not only did they keep his word, but they never denied his name. The push to turn from the name of one God and to call him by many names was already in effect at the close of the first century. It's not some Johnny come lately. This has been around from the beginning. The exclusive idea of one God was not any more popular in that Roman world than it is in our world today. The world of that day was satisfied just to call him a God, but not the God. Many felt pressure not to preach Jesus' name during this time, much the same as it is Today, but the Philadelphian church understood that his name was the source of his power. And today, our ability to change our world rests still in that name that is above every name. Listen to me tonight. If the church ever ceases to preach his name, we cease to be a church at all because we will lose the power of his spirit. Acts 4.12 declares, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's probably been quoted from this pulpit for the last several services combined. You know why? There's an attack against his name. There's an attack against his word. That's why we stand so emphatically on the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in his name. That's why we baptize in his name. That's why we preach in his name. Because a true revival church, whatever she does, is done in the name of Jesus Christ. Whether it be done by word or deed, we do it all in his great name. Why? Because all power in earth rests in that name. The name Jesus breaks the chains of bondage and sets the captives free. It still does. The name of Jesus still makes all of hell tremble and all of heaven rejoice. Generic gods will never serve our problems, but if we will boldly declare the name of Jesus and preach his message, I promise you he will always step up for us. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God will always show up for the people of his name. Tonight, while the times are hard, tonight, while the enemy is raging, tonight, while the world seems to be spinning out of control, I know tonight that we can find confidence that there will be a church in the midst of it all. If we will hold on to his word, if we will keep preaching his name, revival will come. An open door of his spirit will flow, and the lost will find refuge. The captive will be set free. The bound and oppressed can find deliverance. Come on, somebody. If we will just keep his word and not deny his name. I came tonight to say it's not time to be weary in well-doing. It's not time to be sidetracked or discouraged. God gave Philadelphia some promises, and I'm claiming them for CLC tonight. They had kept his word. They had not denied his name, and he said because of it, he would make their enemies bow down at their feet. Just like the waves of that storm lay down at the feet of Jesus as he stood on the bow of that ship that day and said, peace be still. The enemies of your life are going to lay down at his word. They may be raging, but if you'll hold on and keep him in the ship, I promise you, he still will cause them to cease. He told the church at Philadelphia, because you've been faithful, because you've kept my word and my name, now you won't have to rely on that little bit of strength that you have left because I'm going to keep you. Oh, I don't know about you, but that's a promise that I'm more thankful for today than I've ever been thankful for. Talked to an elder preacher uh, over the weekend, and he said, Brother Hodge, we can't have very long. We just cannot have very long. When I look around and I see all that's happening, I cannot believe that God is going to linger much longer. But I'm thankful today that as long as we do these things, He's going to keep us until that day. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful you're kept today in a hand of a God that's never failed? He's never let you down. And he said one promise, is, one promise, and I'm closing with this. We got seven minutes, and we will be out of here, I promise. He said this. He said, I'm going to keep you, but he also said, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I did some research on that, and I found that there was a custom in Philadelphia, in that city, that if a person had done great things for the city, that they would take the name of that person and they would place it on a column in the temple of one of their false gods. And that was a big deal because you got recognized for something great that you had done to the point that you were right in there with the gods. You were written on the support beams. You were written on the pillars of, 
But Jesus said, I'll do you one better. He said, instead of writing your name on some earthly tabernacle, he said, I'm going to write your name in my Father's kingdom. Come on, somebody. He said, I'm going to write my name upon you, and I'm going to make you an overcomer. And I'm telling you tonight as I wrap this up, if we're going to overcome, it's going to be because we kept his word, we didn't deny his name, and his grace came in while we were of little strength. And it kept us and protected us from the hour of temptation. God, help us today. Put a resolve in us today not to be swayed by this world, but to be driven by the world that is to come. Anybody want to be a church, a revival church today? I believe we're doing these things. I believe that we're meeting some of the characteristics of this church that I read to you about tonight, but I don't want to get weary. I don't want to get lax. I don't want to forget this, but I want to take a message like this and remember and remind myself, God, as long as I stay with you, you're going to stay with me. As long as we keep doing what you've called us to do, you're going to keep showing up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. When everybody else goes back into routine and when everybody else goes back to the old dull humdrum, we'll still be shouting the glory. We'll still be shouting victory. We'll still be seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost, baptizing your name. We'll still see your glory being poured out on a weekly basis because we're not going to deny you and we're not going to leave your message.